Welcome to Core Nourishment. I'm Annie Wagner, your host. This podcast is designed to empower, inspire, ignite presence, purpose, and intention in your day. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. This is episode three, and I'm super excited to share today's guest, Sarah Curry, with all of you. She is mom, wife, owner of Bikram Yoga Portsmouth, creator of Bikram's Biggest Losers and Bikram's Biggest Quitters programs to help fight obesity and addiction in the community. And she also shares today about her pilot program, Sober Yogis. You will get an opportunity to learn about her family life, her passion, what it is like balancing being a mom and living her mission, and you are going to love it. And if you want to follow me, check me out at anniewagner.com and thank you for subscribing to this podcast. Enjoy. Thank you, everyone, for joining this podcast again. This is Core Nourishment with Annie Wagoner, and I am your host, Annie Wagoner. This is our third episode, and it is my absolute pleasure today to interview one of my most favorite people, Sarah Curry. Um, I actually don't know her that well, but I feel really drawn to your energy. When I think of you, I think of the words grace and strength and inspiration, And we've had the pleasure of practicing yoga next to one another at the annual Seacoast Yoga Mala. Mm -hmm. And just, again, feeling your energy next to me has always given me more courage and strength and you make me smile. So I would love to share a lot more about Sarah, but this is really about you. So I'm just going to start with questions and dive in. Thanks so much for having me and for those kind words. You're welcome. So um, you're owner of... Portsmouth Yoga Bikram Studio, and I want to know about your yoga journey, Sarah, and start there, and also maybe tell people what is Bikram, in case people don't know what that style is. Absolutely. I think I have to start back a little bit to talk about my yoga journey. I was always a tough guy growing up. I am the child of a football coach, and I have one of three girls, so I always wanted to be tough and lift weights with the boys and all that stuff. And so as I grew up, I did lots and lots of intense sports and weightlifting and running. I played rugby in college um, and just destroyed my body. Uh, so by the time I found yoga, I was really, I, I was out of all of the weightlifting and, and rugby and stuff, but I was still running and I had back pain and a torn biceps and a pulled mm-hmm. hands, you know, always having mm-hmm. something that was going on with me that was wrong. Um, and one of my coworkers said, you should try Bikram yoga. You would love it. And my thought was, <laughs> you don't know anything about me because I wouldn't like yoga. <laughs> um, and so I just sat on that and it was in the back of my mind. And I would get up every morning at the crack of dawn and go running with my sister. And one morning she came in on a Monday morning and we were running and she was like, look at me. I'm so free. I'm so open. <laughs> and she had gone on Friday at the end of the workday to take this Bikram yoga class. She was like, you have to go with me. It's $12. You've got to try this yoga. And I knew probably 15 minutes into the class that I would do it for the rest of my life. I just wow. completely connected with the, the practice. So to put it in a little bit of perspective, Bikram yoga is a very traditional therapeutic hatha yoga approach. Um, It involves 26 postures and two breathing exercises that were basically culled down from a 
the sort of classic 84 postures, you know, everything from sitting down cross-legged to being able to do a handstand. Um, and when the individual who put the series together came to the United States, he was approaching it and into Japan. He was approaching the practice from a place of the same way he had learned in India, where you sit down with a client, they tell you all their problems, and you say, okay, well, you have asthma, so you need to do pranayama, and you mm. have back pain, so you need to do cobra. And he realized that he couldn't touch a lot of people. And one of my current students uh, was one of his students in Japan. And he said to me a couple of years ago, you know, when we were in Japan, we did a lot of pranayama and we did a lot of knee postures because I had a bad knee and this other woman had asthma. And that's how classes used to go. But as he started to do that and try to incorporate more and more people into the practice, um, he realized that there were a significant amount of postures and types of movement that everybody needed, mm -hmm. that we all, need, we all need work on our spines. Everybody's affected by gravity, particularly in our culture today. Everybody's forward bending all mm -hmm. the time. Uh, most people can't sit down cross-legged. This work you've got to do on people's hips. And so the series came out of that. And we're known in the United States particularly because the yoga is done in a heated environment, so the room is hot. Um, and that can be really scary for people. But if you kind of boil it back down to where the yoga came from, the yoga came from Calcutta, India, where the heat index is very similar to a Bikram yoga class all the time. Mm, and wow. when it was first introduced to Americans, people were so stiff and they were hurting themselves. And then it became like winter and one guy had a space heater and everybody wanted to practice next to him. Mm -hmm. So when a lady brought in a space, next thing you knew, the room was 105 degrees and 40% humidity. Um, and that heat is designed to make your whole body warm, the same temperature, warm enough to make you reduce the risk of injury, to improve balance, to reduce the effect of sudden exercise on your heart, but not hot enough to like increase your internal temperature like a sauna or a jacuzzi would do. So while we're known for that, the real core of what it is, of the, what the yoga itself is, is that it's therapeutic. And I knew from that first class how good it was. And the other part about it that really like let the athlete in me do it is that was it was hard. Yeah, It was yeah. challenging, it was struggling, you sweat. At the end you have that massive feeling of euphoria. Mm -hmm. um, which is part of the reason we all practice, you know, for the mental health aspect of it is that euphoric post-savasana oh feeling, gosh, totally. you know, that now we feel like we can't live without it. Right, right. Um, everybody jokes like yoga is my mental health, but it's true. It's so true. You know? Yeah. And I wish more people would practice, mm, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, as I started, when I started practicing, I had a lot of lower back pain from just from lifting weights and, and playing rugby for all those years. I had just destroyed the my lumbar vertebrae and my lumbar discs. And I was in pretty constant pain. I couldn't wear shoes that had laces because I couldn't bend over to tie them. And when I went to see my physicians, they said, you got two, you got three choices. You can get cortisone injections, mm. we can give you drugs for pain, or we can do surgery. Which one do you want? Wow. Yeah. And I just thought, I can't do that. I Everything in my person doesn't agree with that. Um, but also that didn't feel like an alternative to me. And when you look at like the efficacy of the pain drugs, it's mm -hmm. like a third of the percent of the time it helps yeah. people. Yeah. The surgery within one to three years, like 40% of the people end up getting another discectomy. Mm -hmm. And within seven years, like 15% uh, like end up having a spinal fusion. Those don't sound like odds I was willing to take. Right. And right. it also is, we've gotten, we live in a culture where it's acceptable that things don't work very well. You yeah. know what I mean? It's acceptable that um, Wellbutrin has a 37% efficacy rate for depression, but right. what are we doing with the other 63% of the people that still feel terrible? Yeah, you totally, know? totally. And I had just recently started the yoga, and I was like, I don't know, there's just something about this yoga that I feel like it's going to work, and I feel like it can help me. So I started to do my research on 
on why that was and learned a lot more about the anatomy and the structure of the spine and why all the backward bending was making me feel better and why all the core work was making me feel mm-hmm. better. And um, my teachers believed in it too. And they said, just keep doing it and it's going to get better. Yeah, you know? that's great. And so 18 months later, I had rehabilitated these two herniated discs. I didn't have sciatic pain anymore. I could roll over at night. I could wow, carry the groceries in from the car. Yeah. So that was like massively life-changing. And through this whole entire process, I didn't just see my physical health changing. I saw like everything else around me. You know, having been a tough guy, you know, I was... I was the girl in high school picking fights at the party. You know, mm-hmm. that was my personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I felt like when I was driving, people cut me off. When I was in the store, people were rude to me. When everybody got something, I didn't get any. Mm-hmm. And as right. I started to practice the yoga, all that stuff started to change. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I was in the situation where everyone was getting something and I didn't really need it, but someone else wasn't getting it, I felt like, holy smokes, I should make sure that they get what they need. You know, mm-hmm. that ability to have compassion for yourself, yeah. It, I mean, it changes the way you look at the world. It ripples out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we were really, really early practitioners, I remember walking out of the studio with my sister one day, and we had had a different teacher. We'd had our one teacher that we started with, and we loved her. She was just so amazing. And then we had this different teacher, and she was her energy was really different. She was really chipper and really energetic and really, I'm so happy you guys are here. And I was like kind of hated myself and was like mad at the world. And mm-hmm. we walked out of the class, and I said, you know, God, why is she so friendly? <laughs> right? And my sister said to me, wow. Maybe she's just a happy person. Mm. And it was one of those things that it wasn't a big comment, but it hit me like lead. You Mm. know, I was like, holy smokes, maybe the way that I'm perceiving the world is based on how I feel and has really nothing to do with the way other people are interacting with me in the store or in the car, you know, all that type of stuff. So, wow, Sarah. Yeah. I love how I have this image of softening and, and how incredibly beautiful that is paired with just who you are with that tough, you know, as you're describing the tough guy mentality as well as physicality and, um, and your core, which, which can be really beautiful, but you learned how to, you know, I think of the word core, my business called core nourishment and it really derived from similar, like I have always been an athlete and like, you know, think about strength and physical strength. But, you know, when I think about core, it's actually the softness that, is in the core and that ability to land in this confidence in that softening in our experience and our journeys in our yoga practice or in our maybe athletics. And, um, I'm just like feeling this energy and almost visually picturing you finding a sense of strength and, you know, spinal stability and healing and maybe even stronger core physically. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that strength, just that softness that allowed you to open up, um, to your own self-compassion and self-love. That's amazing. It's so true. And it's really like mind blowing to think that by letting go, you can have more strength or by like relaxing and breathing, you know, that just if you go really straight to like the the weightlifting world, right? You to show you're working hard. And I was, that was my, my whole beginning of yoga was like, I have to actually breathe because in that hot environment, if you're not breathing, you're, you're toast. Um, and well, I suddenly found that like, holy smokes, if I was calm and I breathed calmly, I could actually do more mm-hmm. as opposed to that feeling of like, let me do one more rep as hard as I can. Right, and then I'm right. dead, you know, you're pushing, 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 mm-hmm. pushing. And then you it's collapse. amazing. So like, you know, that, that sort of way of thinking of like softness being stronger, it's not 
touchy-feely, hocus-pocus. Yeah. It's yeah. real. Yeah, you know? totally real. I remember the first time I went to my my first Bikram class and and I really consciously had to remind myself to breathe because that's exactly what happened. I found the hotter it felt to me, I was, and I was initially resisting it, mm-hmm. um, which I think, you know, I talked to so many people and that's Everybody their first experience, <laughs> you know, but, and then to catch yourself not breathing, it's like, oh my gosh, okay, just surrender, surrender into this, breathe. And it's so true. The more we allow that oxygen and that um, nourishment in, just, it allowed me personally to just settle finally. And yeah. Like and if you to- go on a, like on a very, you know, biological and biochemical basis, if your breath is not dangerous or labored you're not going to slip into the sympathetic nervous system response Very true. you're going to have less you know production of, of adrenaline from you know cortisol in your body so all of those things like they're not they're not just things that we're thinking about they're actually we're f- experiencing them physiologically in yeah. our bodies you yeah know? yeah totally if you think it's hot it's hot oh if you gosh. don't think it's hot it's okay yeah you know yeah totally so when you first started sharing your experience of of finding Bikram, it, you mentioned your sister. So I'd love to learn a little bit about kind of more about where you come from, your family. And I'm curious to know if your sister still does Bikram. Well, I just took class with my two sisters and my cousin this morning. So um, it's taken a long time, but we have really infected our entire family with the yoga bug. And it's really awesome. So my sister and I started practicing together a week apart. Um, about six months after we started practicing, my sister became a teacher. And a year after that, I became a teacher. And, um, you know, my parents came to take my first first or second class and practice a little here, and a little bit there. But over the years, you know, and you know this being a teacher and, and being a, a, a health coach, that you know the way out of so many conditions. I mean, yoga, like you meet somebody with high blood pressure, you know that if somebody starts practicing yoga regularly in a month, it's not going to be an issue, you know? And so there would be those conversations at first, I'm so excited about it. Oh my God, you should do yoga. People are resistant to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as things start to go on and you just drop a little story here about this client and another story about this guy who, you know, recovered from his physician-induced hypertension. All those people start to think like, I wonder if that would work for me. Mm-hmm. And they drift to the yoga and mm-hmm. drift away and drift in and drift back. And you know, we have a situation where my um, older sister, Marla, owns a studio in Burlington, Vermont, where my aunt and my uncle and my two cousins practice with her. Oh, that's you know, so amazing. It's amazing. That's so beautiful. It's incredible. And you never want to force that on other people because you don't want to feel them like they have to go or out of guilt for you, but that they want to go for themselves. And letting this process happen over the course of the last 15 years, we've been talking about yoga to everybody. It's so cool to see them all shifting towards it. Yeah. You know, my parents just turned 70 this summer and fall and they practice, you know, four to five times a week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's Sarah. really cool. That's amazing. I love that. I love that you were just practicing too this morning <laughs> with your family. That's awesome. Um, so you're also something that I know so much about you and admire about you is you're also a mom and a wife and you have a family. So how do you find you know, being owner of the yoga studio, as well as, you know, your vice president of Satya, um, which is such a brilliant for people who don't know what that is. Um, it's a Seacoast area teachers of yoga in action, um, which is a local non nonprofit that brings food and fuel assistance and yoga to the community. And Sarah's had a strong presence and voice in, in that. Um, and you're also someone who has founded 
um, I'd love to learn more about the sober yogis. So I originally was going to ask you about your family and, and love to come <laughs> back to that. But now I'm sharing more about you and, and what you're, you've created such incredible programs that's helping this community on so many levels from all the physiological stuff you've just been talking about um, to diabetes, to um, addiction challenges. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to expand on that. Sure. I mean, in reference to your first question, it's hard. It's so hard to me. You know, being a parent is so, it's the hardest thing ever. And it's not like, like no parents can tell you before you have kids how hard it is. And mm. they really shouldn't, just in case you were thinking about giving someone that advice, don't. <laughs> they don't need it. But yeah. it's the hardest thing. It's the best and most amazing thing in the worst and most thankless job in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to be able to find a, a way to manage, like, you know, I am very dedicated to having a daily practice, except for Sundays. I don't work on Sundays or practice on Sundays. Um, To be able to spend family time, to do a good job at my job, to be able to give back to my community, and to be able to start and maintain these initiatives, it's really a balance, you know? And it's so easy to slip into that, like, uh, doing a million things Mm -hmm. and not making any time for yourself. And that's why, where I feel like, we're all that all those of us who practice yoga are so lucky because every time you're not taking care of yourself when you get on the mat it just slaps you right in the oh, face totally. you know yes. over and over and and that little adage of like how many times am I going to learn the same lesson it doesn't matter mm-hmm. you just keep getting the lesson you keep yeah. getting the lesson until you take steps you know and it's not like your stuff isn't going to come up again it comes up mm-hmm. but we're just a little bit better equipped and a little bit better equipped each time to right. like recognize it and then to do something about it so in terms of the other programs um so my oldest sister was the um, was the inspiration for our Bikram Space Losers program, which was started in 2012 as an initiative to find a way to reach out to individuals with obesity because a yoga studio doesn't necessarily feel like the most welcoming environment if you've never been in one. Yeah. And and I've been to a lot of yoga studios on the yoga and seacoast community and they're all really welcoming places. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. In I, there, I these communities are incredible and every individual teacher and studio owner and student is doing this amazing work to create a place where people want to be and where they feel like they are welcome and accepted and supported. But walking through the door the first time, it doesn't matter what your issue is. You could have a physical problem or just be nervous. Everybody's nervous and uncomfortable. Yeah. And the the stakes are even higher when you're obese. You feel like you're the person who doesn't fit. You're not going to be able to do it. There's no yoga clothes that fit for you, you know. And when my sister started practicing, my oldest sister, she had all this experience of feeling like, She'd look at herself in the mirror and say, like, what are you doing in the front row, you fat slob? Like, Mm. you don't deserve to be here. And to watch her getting a little bit teary just thinking about it, go through that whole process that we've all been through of, like, looking in the mirror and seeing yourself for who you are and loving yourself. I just thought, like, how do we create something so that people know that they can come walk through the doors Mm. to And um, that's how we started the Bikram's Biggest Loser Initiative. And we do the challenge every year, once a year. And the thing about doing a challenge together is, one, it's a great way to just immerse yourself in yoga. And two, the, there's a, a strong bond in that community of folks. So it's a pretty safe way to get started. And you know that there's going to be people that are in the same boat as you. Yeah. We have a really nice meeting in the beginning where people get to sort of share a little bit about their story, but also to get to hear that all the stuff you're worried about, everybody else is worried about yeah, too. Yeah, you're not you alone. Know? Yeah. And one of the coolest things that happened at the studio after the first Biggest Loser was about a month into the challenge, 
all of a sudden, all of these individuals with obesity started creeping into the studio because whether they wanted to participate in the challenge or not, they knew that there was, they were going to be welcome, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where that started. And, and it's been very cool since then because studios all over the country and even around the world have started doing challenges like that. Yeah. Um, you, it's easy to say we accept everybody, but it's different to actually practice it. And, you know, in a Bikram studio, people don't wear a lot of clothes cause it's friggin' hot. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's very intimidating at first to feel like, do I have to go in there in a speedo? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, you don't. Right, you can wear right. whatever you want to, although I wouldn't suggest that you wear sweatpants. Right. Um, so that was the initiative to start that. And that's been um, a really, really fun and amazing time every year um, for us in the fall. And then after that program got started, uh, I started to think about the issue that we're suffering on the sequence. You know, we like to say that it's an epidemic, but it's really not. It is endemic. Oh, that's a good point. And the problem yeah. has been building for a very long time. Separate it. Um, it's not something new. It's in mm-hmm. people's faces now because um, the stakes are a little bit higher, and and the issues are out there about Narcan, and you know people are ODing every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to think about that in our community, and in in my discipline, we have some really amazing um, figures nationally and internationally who have really amazing stories of recovery, but most of them embarked on their recovery by themselves and Mm -hmm. through like mental toughness or whatever use like just the yoga to get clean um if you haven't read Jeannie heaton's article it was published in the new york times i think it was 2013 is an amazing story of her getting clean from heroin and through through a 30-day challenge she'd never done the yoga before and looking at herself in the mirror and body dysmorphia i mean she's got an amazing story Uh, and she's just one of like probably a dozen folks i could name And at the same time, we've had lots and lots of individuals in recovery practicing at the studio and using it as a supplement to recovery or as a supplement to getting sober. Um, But I had, you know, I have no experience in that field and I had no way to feel like I could initiate a program that would be responsible. You know, there's so much that I didn't know when I started it. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, if you were to get Um, go clean from heroin, right? It would be not a huge deal for you to do the hot yoga. If you were to go, you know, cold turkey from alcohol addiction today and take class today, you could risk, you know, having a seizure. Yeah. You know, so all those are factors that, of course, I know nothing about because I'm not a substance abuse professional. Um, And at the same time, I was sort of having these thoughts of like, how do we reach out to the recovery community and let them know that like, this is a really great way to help get through a lot of like post-acute withdrawal symptoms and stuff. Um, I had uh, reignited a practice with with three local therapists, had reignited their their Bikram practice. And we started to talk about like a program that we could do that would would wrap people with therapy and also wrap them with the yoga community. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if you've read the um, study that was done on Rat Park. Have you read that study? I haven't. Okay. It's a really great study. I think that you could probably find it if you Google Rat Park. But, you know, back in the, I think it was the 70s, there was a study done on addiction where they took rats and they put them in cages with a water bottle full of water and a water bottle full of cocaine-laced water and to see if the rats would use the the cocaine. And all the rats tried the cocaine, all the rats got addicted, and all the rats died early. Very simple. So that was where, when we went into the Reagan presidency, that was the the body of evidence that Nancy Reagan started Say No to Drugs campaign from, that it's the drugs. If people are exposed to drugs, they will be addicts. And we based it off of that, like, don't let people be exposed to drugs, they won't be addicts. And hey, guess what happened? It didn't work. Yeah. You know, actually, everything got worse. Right. and our prison populations rose and mm-hmm. cartels got more power and all that stuff. So let's not even go down that road. <laughs> um, 
So someone decided that they wanted to do a follow-up study because they thought, well, why would you put a rat alone in a cage? A rat is a social animal. Mm. Could it be the environment? And so they put these rats in a place they called Rat Park with a lot of rats, but not too many rats. Lots of food, lots of alternatives, fun stuff to play with, chew on, you know, places to crawl through and just the best place you could imagine being for a rat. And while almost all the rats tried the cocaine water in this circumstance, none of them got addicted and none of them died young. Wow. So that's like completely changing the way people are looking at thinking about addiction. And like we were talking earlier about about the community at a yoga studio, there's, I mean, there's a massive amount of support there and connection and, you know, a feeling like people are going to miss me if I'm not around, Mm -hmm. you know, all that type of stuff. Just acceptance. Um, Right. Yeah. And the other piece about it, I spoke last month at a a support group for in Elliot, Maine, uh, out of the shadows. And we were, as we were talking about all this stuff, I was saying to them, you know, the thing about this is this isn't singularly about recovery and people that are struggling with addiction. It's all the same for all of us because really everybody's going through the same shit. Yeah. You know, we're all yeah. facing the same demons, all the, whatever it is, expectations, self-hatred, yeah. you know, all of those things Definitely. that everybody has to go through, body image and he- physical health and all that type of stuff. So the... The stuff that's helpful for addiction about doing yoga is the same as is helpful for everybody else on the street. So when you get on the mat, everybody in that class is is uniquely going through the exact same thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so true. And to land in a place where you you know, for I think by you know, the example you gave of your sister, like where you go through that initial experience of looking in the mirror and just, you know, all the, the self critic is full force, like raging. Um but then to be able to feel like, okay, I'm in a community where I'm not alone in that. Other mm-hmm. people are going through it. And then just to, to start making that connection is yep. huge. And every time you stand up and you do another posture and you meet your eyes in the mirror, I mean, those are all successes. They eventually can overpower that you can walk in and be like, oh, I'm a hot mess. Yeah. And then you start to see the strength in yourself, you know, or your resilience that even though you don't want to be here more than anything in the world and you feel like your life is falling to pieces, that you're going to lift your arms over your head one more time. Yeah. You know, that's, there's a tremendous amount of power in that. I love that. Um, I, I just right now in this moment had that flash of the mirror because my, I was initially very resistant. So I was like, wow, there are mirrors all around. Why is that? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd rather just go within, not look at myself. And, mm-hmm. and then, and yet right in this moment, I'm thinking about that more and like, well, it's such a beautiful opportunity to learn to really look at ourselves fully and love ourselves wholly and, and just to and see just yourself, to see ourself that mm-hmm. just for what is not. It's funny because of- in the world of yoga, there's a lot of resistance to Bikram yoga because hot and blah, blah, blah. Um, but there is, we've always gotten a lot of criticism from other disciplines about the mirrors and people have always said to me, you know, the mirror is just about your ego. Everybody that goes to Bikram yoga just wants to look at themselves in the mirror. And, and well, that's a one in a small aside, yeah. you know, in a small aside, like, hey, maybe we do want people to want to look at themselves in the mirror. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But the other piece of that is that if you are forced to look at yourself, you can actually see yourself, and this is what e- like a pure, beautiful ego is, to be able to see yourself for who you are, your flaws, your positive qualities, and or just what is. Here, here yeah. I am. I have... Yeah poison ivy on the left side of my face you know whatever yeah, it is right, right that's that is what it is and that's and that's what every single yoga practitioner on any mat anywhere in the world is trying to get to that place where you can simply sit and see what's happening yeah you know yeah and not like 
run away from it or just try to avoid it and push it or away. Or judge it or change exactly. it or all that stuff. Yeah. So just back to the sobriety stuff. The issue that is like real, I feel like is so important can, in terms of connecting people to yoga that are in, especially in early recovery is that the first 18 to 24 months of sobriety are the most difficult. Obviously, that's where the most relapses happen. And that is when people receive are, are experiencing the, the highest level of post-acute withdrawal symptoms. So everybody knows that withdrawal is awful and scary and yucky and takes whatever range of time it takes for the particular drug of choice or um, the shakes and the throwing up mm. and the hallucinations and all that stuff. And after that, the problem is that your brain has been being um, bombarded by substances. And while the human brain is amazingly resilient and plastic and has the ability to change, it needs time to heal. And it needs time to recover, to like assimilate the new normal. And during that period, all of these symptoms hit, like depression and anxiety and sleeplessness, Mm -hmm. apathy, emotional overreaction. You know, those are just a couple of, off the top of my head, withdrawal. and hopelessness and how do you get through that you know and and we know from some really great research on yoga that yoga helps to boost like serotonin and dopamine levels so you can go and get your little without taking any drugs and without any negative side effects you can go and get your little mood boost just to help you get through that day you know our people that haven't slept in weeks and weeks and weeks will take their first class and go home and sleep like a log I mean you can't you can't quantify the medical benefit of that you know that and the the psychological benefit of holy smokes I can sleep like everybody else too you know and And my body is capable of doing that mm because you go yeah right yeah. So in the part about the program that makes me feel a lot safer is not only are we, um, am, I, am I able, and my teachers able to get more educated by, by licensed professionals, but there is a safety net for people. You know, there, and the beautiful thing about the yoga is that the yoga reinforces the therapy and the therapy reinforces the yoga. And since we've had these, the, the therapy groups that combine with the Sober Yogis program continue year on. You can stay in them. Or I was about to ask, is it just continuous? I mean, or? a good recommendation for joining a group, if you're in terms yeah. of group therapy, is that you commit for at least a year. Yeah. Um, but you can stay in them ongoing. And one of our groups has been going now for over a year. Um, but as people do things like their life gets so, so, so busy and so, so, so stressful and everybody needs them and they can't get to yoga and they have no time for them and then Mm -hmm. they come to their sober yogis group where everyone's like hey Mm -hmm. we know what you're doing Mm -hmm. like you need to take care of yourself and this is the process and this is how we do it so it brings people back to that practice of yoga um and a lot of folks say to me like when are the sober yogis classes and the whole point is that right everybody is the same yeah so classes are available for everybody all the time all the time and the whole point is that you would be able to feel like you could be traveling to florida for business and take a class you know that you could if you took class in the morning at a really terrible day and some horrible things happened that if you needed a class you could get there at night it's not like only one night a week or it's only on tuesdays or you have to be able to get there at 2 p.m it's whenever you can get to a class so that you can get what you need and you can learn to dose yourself right take your medicine when you need it when you start to feel yourself needing it and anywhere anytime Mm -hmm. to be able to start to integrate that into you know their real life as opposed to have it be so separate too right yeah right that's a that's amazing sarah so yeah. when did you found when that program you, started in 2014 and have you seen just incredible i mean has the response been really positive and do you feel like 
Yes. Yeah. And, you know, like with the first round that we did, we did an exploratory study where we took statistical data before and after. And like the, the results from it were just like mind blowing. Yeah. A lot of folks were, were scoring, you know, in the moderate to severe categories in the beginning for things like depression and, and anxiety and stuff. And by the end were like very, very mild symptoms or none, you know, just yeah. such a dramatic drop in symptoms. And there were a couple of random situations where one individual got more depressed you know he was digging deeper into all the stuff that was underneath and and then he had a group there to support him help him carry him through it you know so it's not like it's not like we know what's the outcome is going to be for any one person right you know what I mean but the potential there is amazing and also you know the process of recovering from addiction involves a lot of taking care of yourself and healing your body, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. in, in this day and age, right, so much um, for so many people that are coming to addiction from like a oxycontin addiction, from a you know pain or pain an injury killer, that couldn't yeah. heal. Once you get it's great, you you got off the oxy, but what do you do now? Because yeah. the pain is still there, and the yeah. rotator cuff injury is still there. You know, yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah. Wow, Sarah, I just have the chills. Amazing, and I, you know, I'm thinking about your comment earlier when you were sharing in the beginning about. Like you as a tough guy and just like life is, you know, with and that compassion that you allowed yourself to, to find within yourself. And now it's just outpouring like so much. Right. So I'm curious to know how do you pour compassion back into your own heart? I know obviously and clearly through yoga, yeah. but yoga aside, how do you nourish your core and your soul? That's a great question. And it's something that I'm always working on. I think like all of us, we're always working on it. Um, I have in one of the parts of the, the biggest losers that we do in the beginning is that circle of life where you look at all the pieces of your life and see, you know, your oh, creativity yeah. and all that type of stuff. And when the first time I did one, I was like dramatically um, deficient in my creativity. And I had been so focused on building the business and helping people and having kids and trying to pull, keep everything together and feed everybody good food and all that stuff that I had like for years and years and years done none of that stuff that I love to do, like art and music. And, um, so having that staring at that map in my, having that right in my face was a really good reminder that, right, it's not just about me accomplishing all of this other stuff and, and being able to do the stuff I say I'm going to do in terms of work and, and satya and all that stuff, but to, that I actually have to take as much responsibility for that as, you know, feeding my own creativity, taking time to myself. You know, mm-hmm. I love to sing. Um, you do. I do. I love that. I don't mm-hmm. think I knew that. Yeah. I like to sing too. We could sing together sometimes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's Thankfully, crazy. my husband learned to play guitar a couple winters ago, so we oh get to sing gosh, together sometimes. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. awesome. Don't, don't tell him that I said that he is not going to want to play in front of anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's airing, so <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so no uh, open mics in your both your futures? <laughs> not, not quite yet. I tried to get him to play at my parents' birthday party, and he Aww. said no way. Yeah. Yeah. I love to garden. Um, we have where my husband and I are building on a, sm- a small homestead. That was my goal as a kid. I wanted to be an organic farmer. Oh, um, wow. I went to school for it. I have a degree in plant and soil science. And, you know, I got out of college and was like, holy crap, like, 
you have to have land to have a farm, yeah, right, you know, right. just was my world was like, uh, boom, you know, yeah. this is, <laughs> this is not going to happen. And then yoga took me down a different path. And so it's really fun for me to be going back, mm. um, down that path, you know? Yeah. And I bet with, with kids too, to have them be a part of. It's amazing. It's amazing. That process. You know, to see them out in the garden eating parsley off the plant, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what you hope, yeah. you know, would happen and, and it's cool. That's great. Yeah. Did you grow up on a farm? Or uh, kind around? of, sort of, yeah. Uh, when I was very young, my father was d- very similar to what we're doing. Um, we always had these massive gardens. Um, my grandmother uh, was an incredible farmer. I mean, she, my dad grew up on a farm where they basically like, they, okay, they bought their coffee and tea, but just about everything else they wow. raised, made whatever canned um and so and she was one of my idols growing up she was another super tough really tough i mean she was into her 80s still farming an acre's worth of vegetables you know wow yeah um and so when i was very young my father was you know he was raising a cow for us to have for me we had chickens we had pigs we had huge gardens um and he sort of dabbled in that my whole life like he he had draft horses for a while he was like gonna you know farm only with draft horses but always he had like a job like a real job and it's funny i'm kind of following sort of exactly in his footsteps at this at this point i was just saying like that's so with Mm -hmm. what you've been sharing it seems like that's where you're that's beautiful yeah that's so cool yeah so sarah i'm just gonna share um had this incredible opportunity to give a tedx talk last last year right Mm -hmm. 2015 and um, I didn't have a chance to go see it live, but I've watched it a couple of times. And you mentioned your paternal grandmother right mm-hmm. away in the beginning as, as just being such a source of, I mean, a big role model for you. For um, sure. So you just mentioned her, but I'm curious for you just to expand here on that. And then all of you listeners, you should check out her TEDx, um, <laughs> look her up. So okay. That was a very, very fun experience to work with the folks at TEDx. They're amazing. They're so professional and they really help you to be your best, which is just very cool. Um, I learned a lot about public speaking and preparation and stuff from working with those guys. But my paternal grandmother, Victoria Sapatelli, um, she was the daughter of Polish immigrants. And when I started to learn her back history, you know, where they lived in Poland was Russia and Germany. And Russia and Germany, they had a very difficult existence their whole lives you know not only the landscape that they and they were trying to survive like physically make sure they had enough food to get through the winter but there was constantly occupation from different countries and tremendous amount of war there um and my grandmother's story my great-grandmother's story is that when she was uh very young her dad died and her mom remarried and married a man who didn't want her children and my great-grandmother they made her live in the barn Wow. Yeah. Oh and gosh. so like she, her job was to make sure that the livestock were okay. If they weren't okay, if anything happened to mm-hmm. them, she was beaten. So she was a very mm-hmm. cold, tight, you mm-hmm. know, neglected woman. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, passed that on to my grandmother was not like an outgoing, loving woman like that. But you knew that she cared about you because mm-hmm. you got dill pickles and mm-hmm. she made homemade ketchup and all that type of stuff. And, yeah. Um, and as, uh, probably in my grandmother's seventies, I would say, my dad said to her, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you tell us you loved us growing up? Wow. And she said, you didn't know, you know, and he said, yeah. that, I didn't learn that. I didn't learn that hugging and I love right, you stuff. You right. know? And so, <laughs> which she, is so great. He could say that to her for sure. After, yeah. yeah. After he went to college to become a therapist. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, in that, 
the, watching her over the course of my life melt. I mean, as kids, we like climbed on her and kissed her oh, and, you know, hugged wow. her and said we loved her. And, and she never said she loved us until my grandfather died. And then she used to say, we love you. We love you. Yeah. Oh, wow. And right before she passed away, she started saying, I love you. And it just, ah, oh, I'm getting a little bit I know, I'm too. getting like teary. To, to be able to see somebody have that transformation in their life is, is beautiful. Yeah. And little did I know consciously at the time that that's what I was looking for for myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know. I feel like it's such a mirror for you. For sure. Sarah. For yeah. sure. Which I think is why I always identified with her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. My maternal grandmother is uh, very outgoing and loving and warm Irish woman. Um, and I didn't identify with her. I loved her, you yeah. know, but I didn't have that same sort of connection because I, I wasn't having that experience, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. Hmm. I bet for you as a mom, it's, it's, it's given you a lot of just insight and reflection on how you want to show your love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes, you know, so many experiences a mom where you like, I especially from practicing the yoga where you can look at like, Oh, look at my reaction to this. Mm. You know what I mean? (laughs) And this is why talk about the greatest teaching moments. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Wow. Your family sounds like really close. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. Very cool. A lot of resiliency. So I want to ask you, what is your, favorite posture (laughs) ah that's great my favorite posture honestly is no hands headstand wow because it's fun yeah and really hard yeah but you know i am very very strong i am not very flexible and that was massive for my ego when i first started practicing because like i couldn't do stuff Mm. i remember beginning in like doing standing bow or dancer's pose and like taking a picture of myself in the beginning being like i can't wait till my leg is straight Mm, you know over the top of my head yeah and years going by and like nothing changing you know and that was that was really intense to not be able to just apply my strength to something and do it Mm. you know i remember when i first started playing rugby i'm five four i'm not very big um and i we didn't have a prop. Prop is like the biggest yogi. The, I mean, the biggest yogi, the biggest rugger. Okay, okay. Um, you have two props that support the hooker. And, um, and you call it rugger? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we didn't have anybody. And so I was like, I'll do it. Yeah. You yeah. know, because I was like, I can tough my way through it. And I did. And I, of course, in the meanwhile, I completely destroyed my back mm. because I wasn't big enough for that position. I wasn't yeah. big enough to be the pinpoint of all that pressure and weight. And we'd play women that were like 5'10, oh, yeah. 220, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and to hit yoga and not be able to just rely on my strength, it really made me have to look at a lot of stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible, Sarah. So would you say, like, what's been, like, do you have like a, I don't know, not aha moment, but I mean, clearly you said the minute you walked in and then 10 minutes into class, you were, you were hooked, you know, yeah. the Bikram. Um, and it sounds like it's completely transformed you, but what would you say, in what way has it transformed you the most if you're just a kind of highlight one more yeah that's a good question um I just really think it has made me open to so much more and um being in the seacoast yoga community and and being able to connect with so many different types of yoga like you know with our yoga in the park program at Satya being able to take class from 13 different teachers every summer is amazing and I've been able to try and do things that made me really uncomfortable you know I we took a class that one time that we wore bells on our wrists and we had um, ribbons and we were waving them while we were doing the yoga. And I was like, Sarah, 
you're doing this. Yeah. Just yeah. deal with it. Yeah. You know, and just be experience it. And those, you know, letting myself be open to that stuff and not spazzing out, being like, this isn't like me. Right. You know I what I mean? Do this, right. <laughs> Which is so great to acknowledge, be like, for oh, sure. Hey. And then it's that opportunity to look at that. And then for sure. And yeah. like, okay, why am I, why am I having that, ex- that experience? Yeah. Why am I resistant to that? Mm-hmm. And also, who cares? I know. I it know. really doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and it was actually fun. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I remember the first laughter yoga class I went to, I was like, oh my God, why do people think laughter yoga is a real thing and then I get into it and I'm like dying laughing making these connections with people without ever saying a word you know and like there's there's a reason everybody does everything they do in the world you know yeah and and even if you look politically at what's going on and I don't even mean politics I mean in our country right now with all of the shootings that just happened in the last two days Mm. it's all about how separate everybody is and how different yeah you know you can't just put cameras on cops and and police brutality will stop yeah you know when you look at a police officer that's shooting a guy that's reaching for his id he's obviously in fight or flight yeah you know what i mean so that's not going to stop if we don't actually address the mental health of police my husband's cousin is a cop and she said none of my none of my coworkers would go to therapy you know, where right. that living with that amount of fear and danger in your life yeah. every day, of course you need therapy I and know. yoga. Yeah. Anyone you know? can benefit from it. So yeah. And not and, and and that's just one aspect of the whole rest of the we're not addressing everything that's going on. Yeah. After the race riots, after the Rodney King um thing in LA, they did this amazing work where they got together um like police officers and their families and then um, people that were involved in the riots and victims of police brutality and then like these church officials and they got everybody together and mm-hmm. they were like, we need to talk about what our experiences are like. You that know? is absolutely incredible. And one of the mothers that was speaking said, you know, I really fear for my son who was a police officer. And, and a white woman said to her, who was a cop's mother, said to her, I know, I worry so much when my son goes to work every day. And the mother said, no. I worry when my son takes his uniform off because he's black. She was like, I feel much more fear that he's going to be a victim of some kind of crime from one of his fellow officers that doesn't know he's a cop, you know? And the um, guy that was facilitating the meeting said, you know, there was, that was the pivotal moment. Either the white cop's mom was going to hear her and understand what she was going through, or she was going to be resistant to it. And they were, they had this amazing exchange where everybody was able to talk about and hear what each other person was saying, you know, where they're coming from. And what we have going on right now in our culture is, you know, black lives matter, all lives matter, fight, fight, fight. That doesn't work. You know, we have to be able to learn to find a way to see each other for the similarities that we have. Right. And to be able to, to really land in the oneness Mm -hmm. and the recognition of the fact that we all share very similar feelings and and fears and experiences. It sounds like some super like yoga stuff, but it really isn't. It's really the same. doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whether you're in the room, in the yoga studio, on your mat you know, next to someone who might be a very different body size from you or different color or yeah, or out in the world and, and, and this is everything that's going on. It just makes should. me realize how much more important the world work is that we're doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just that, one life at a time. Right. One life, one, one step. And, and I, I think of that when I think about you, Sarah, I think of how much you are, you're living, you're living your passion and you're living with such purpose and, and, you know, I've, you, I've talked about this in, the, in some of my, po- my past podcasts, but even just in general, like the difference between work and mission. And I just see you like 
like looking at obviously yoga is, is part of you. It's part of your life um, every day. Um, but then that you're living, like it's not just work, you know, like it's, right. it's like, this is part of who you are and your mission to just continue to spread compassion and health and healing to the world. It's absolutely amazing. So what, what do you, what do you see for yourself? I know it's such a cliche question. Like but for the future? Yeah. Do you have like, you know, more um, just vision right now for the future? And you, I know you live very present too, so. I don't have like some kind of a project that I'm thinking of working yeah. on, but uh, honestly, I, I just hope to continue to expand the work that we're doing, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we're so lucky on the seacoast. In many cities, the yoga communities are in competition with each other. And not that there isn't like financial competition for sure. You know, if you've got two vinyasa studios, you have to, students have to pick one. Yeah. Um, but we're so lucky, um, particularly I think because of all of the community projects we've done over the years, like the yoga mala and yoga in the park and all these little different, different karma cleanse, um, that the yoga studio teachers and owners have all gotten to know each other really well yeah. and do a really amazing job of working together. And I just see... I just see in the future that there's so much potential there for what we can all accomplish, you know, Yeah. Um, th whether through Satya's work or just simply through our connections with each other. Um, I really feel like there's, there's something really special about our yoga community. It's really, it's also economically ridiculous that we have this many yoga studios that are doing well. It's, it's, it's amazing. amazing. It is. We have a, un it's a unique location um, and a unique group of people who are, are willing to do it and open. It wouldn't fly most other places in this yeah. country. Yeah. You know, and I've we're often, really lucky. I've often thought about that. Like I've wondered cause I, you know, I haven't been a part of a yoga community and, you know, as a teacher and in any other areas. Um, but I've always, it struck me as such, um, incredible, like love that we're able to just be in such powerful community together mm -hmm. and, and simply hold space and enhance, enhance sure. one another. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't feel the competition. And then right. it's amazing. It's There's a mutual respect. And, and the other piece about our community that's really very cool is there are a lot of teachers in this area that have been teaching yoga in this area for a long time. Yeah, You know, there are a significant yeah. amount of pe people that have had studios in operation for 12, 15 years. Yeah, you know, amazing. so there's a tremendous breadth of, of um, experience and knowledge. And I know if there's somebody with a condition that I can't help or or you know, uh, my approach isn't reaching them, I know I have lots of options to send them to where they, they can find a yoga that works for them or a teacher that speaks to them, you know, yeah. or an approach that helps them to heal whatever it is that they're struggling yeah. with. You know? Yeah, I agree. I love being able to refer people around. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for taking this time today just to land in presence and flow in conversation together. I've learned so much more about you and I really encourage any of you who are listening who are local or get to come visit the seacoast to come take a class with Sarah um, at the Portsmouth Vikram studio um, and also to check check her out at the TEDx um, do you have any other ways that you'd like people to find you um, that's if you google Bikram yoga in Portsmouth yeah. you'll definitely find us um, okay. and I just appreciate you having me here this has been really fun yeah thank you so much Sarah